1: Hi,
2: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
3: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got an interesting show today, to be sure. Uh, Coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, uh, the author of a, a debut young adult novel, uh, Jen Ferguson, and it revolves uh, around um, the story of of someone who is Métis, which is a uh, a hybrid group of indigenous people and, uh, I believe, French settlers from southern Canada along the uh, U.S. border about, well, right about where the Midwest is, and straddling that border a little bit. But but an interesting book and an interesting culture that we'll talk about a little bit. And then in the middle of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Lauren Olson, who um, breaks down walls of cultural, familial, and personal shame in uh, his new memoir, No More Neckties. We'll find out what that means and what that's all about. But starting out today, this is going uh, to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about uh, the adventures of some youngsters who have tiny dinosaurs in their hair. Actually, it's a little less random than that. We're going to talk with award-winning children's author, Jane Rose Valley, who joins me by phone. Jane, good morning. Welcome to the show.
4: Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having
3: me. Um, Now, the uh, name of the series is Dinosaurs Living in My Hair. And this latest book is uh, book three, An Underwater Adventure. And one of the attributes of this series and this particular book is the impact it has on very young people in terms of... um, climate responsibility
4: correct I like to have a, a message with my books and I thought it was an important conversation started to introduce to children to start talking about how important the oceans are and think little things that we can do to, to start to make a difference
3: now this one is an underwater adventure what are the other adventures that are out so far the first and second
4: installments So, um, Dinosaurs Living in My Hair 1 um, introduces the character Sabrina, and it was a poem I had wrote for my daughter. She has this crazy, zany, curly hair, and I used to say the most ridiculous thing I could think of, um, Lauren, you could have dinosaurs living in your hair, hoping she'd let me comb it, brush it, wash it, um, and to my chagrin, she did not. None of that worked. So, the first book talks about how Sabrina has brothers who have very straight hair, she has curly hair. And she wants to look like everybody else. She's not comfortable with her curly hair. And um, the message of book one is um, everybody, you know, is created to look just the way they're supposed to. And the mother tells her you're perfect just the way you are. So the first book is kind of about self-esteem. And the second book, uh, Was Living in My Hair 2, Sabrina Goes to First Grade and um, meets children that do have curly hair like she does and she she doesn't dare tell them that she has dinosaurs living in her hair because she's <laughs> a, uh, as many people that you know we have secrets that we don't want people to to judge us so she keeps that a secret until she's on the playground and um, they fall out when she's upside down on the monkey bars and then she realizes that they're all in a maze because they all have dinosaurs living in their hair and so it's it's a it's a it, it brings up topics of, um, and they were being kind of bullied in school, so it brings up topics, The dinosaurs teach them about how important um, body language is and, and subtle things that we can do to try to stand up um, against um, teasing and bullying that happens in school. And And...
3: This is the third book. It, do you think of this as a trilogy, or are you expecting this, uh, this series to continue because there's still lots more to talk about?
4: <laughs> there's always a
3: lot to talk about. But, um, I know,
4: right? What I've learned is that when, um, when I'm in classrooms and I'm talking to students, when you talk about dinosaurs, you can teach them anything, and they won't really know it because they love dinosaurs. So Jane,
3: Jane, quick story. My my oldest okay. daughter. She's grown and has kids of her own now. But when she was a little girl, she absolutely loved the animated uh, features, Land Before Time, and right. and Littlefoot and all his little buddies. And they were always on the prowl for green food, which I turned vegetables into. Okay. And I could get Addie to eat right. vegetables every day with right. her dinner because I simply called it green food. Mm-hmm. And, that's, I, I, and that speaks to that that love for dinosaurs, and, and we'll do what they do.
4: Yep, you're absolutely right. And it's it's kind of magical, and I kind of stumbled on it. I mean, I wasn't thinking I'm going to write books about dinosaurs because I can teach them things. I have just learned <laughs> to the, that, that's how it works, so it's been great. Yeah,
3: I like my my little anecdote about uh, about Addie. That, that was completely by accident. I just said, right. "Well, eat this; it's green food," and she went, "I want green food like Littlefoot." And boy, it was off to the races. I could get her to eat vegetables, and mm-hmm. I I thought, well, whatever works.
4: <laughs> right, and that that's you know, in teaching children and trying to impart messages and lessons, that's what you do is you find things that work and. um So the third book, um, the the oceans are so important and and they teach the children or we talk about when you're looking at the ocean, it looks flat and it looks like it's empty and and they forget about the fact that underneath that flat surface are millions of creatures that live there and that's their home. And we talk about the fact that I wouldn't go to their house and throw things around and leave my water bottles and et cetera, et cetera, that I, I would be respectful. And so they start to think about that is, you know, there's coral reefs, there's marine life, there's all kinds of things that we need to think about underneath that, that surface.
3: Now, you're from Battle Creek, which is just down the road. I was going to make a little joke about you, uh, you know, grow, <laughs> growing up, turning grains into delicious cereals. but um...
4: we, used, we used to say that it was the home of the flakes. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because yeah. I, I know yeah. what
3: that means um, right. because my show is based in Flint, Michigan, which is just down the road from there. But um, how in Battle Creek seems a little landlocked. I mean, you're not far from Lake Michigan, but um, it, it, it doesn't seem like the, the kind of origin for someone who was going to write an underwater adventure.
4: Um, we have a, a home in the Florida Keys, and ah. I'm a saltwater fly fisherman. And so um, one of my favorite activities is to be in the skip in the backcountry. Um, so I have this affinity for the ocean. And the um, Florida Keys, obviously there's water surrounding you everywhere. And um, the plus with writing this third book is I can also visit all the schools in Florida um, and <laughs> celebrate it well as, as in as in
3: Michigan,
4: so oh that's great um yeah.
3: so will there do you expect there are going to be uh more of uh this series will it continue as a series, and what are some of the things that you might want to bring up in future installments?
4: so I always thought that if um if I was to do one more, I might do a board book, so like if Star Wars went back to the beginning, it would be going back to the beginning um, to introduce why do dinosaurs live in the kids' hair? And um, because I always get asked, why do dinosaurs live in their hair? So that's always been something that I've I've toyed with. I am writing a a middle school um, novel. Um, I always think that um, boys like certain books Um, adventure and I kind of wanted to try my luck at writing something outdoors and um, see what happens so I'm working on that as well
3: but this will be um, this particular book um, this this new one to do do, do, an underwater adventure uh, book three of the dinosaurs living my hair series is uh the only one that deals specifically with the ecology and it's intended to be a standalone book and then you'll deal with other each unrelated is, issues uh going forward
4: and each book does stand alone on its own so they although they 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 kind of map out the characters but the, but they are standalone as well So when I visit the schools and we talk about um, the environment and, you know, one thing I bring up is that, and I hold up a plastic toothbrush, most students have plastic toothbrushes and plastics is such a, you know, it it doesn't break down. So we talk about, you know, they're now making products, they're making toothbrushes that are made of bamboo. Um, They make silverware that's made of disposable bamboo. So we start to think about and talk about what are options products that we can use instead of a plastic water bottle they make um, carton made out of paper um, water containers so these are the little scientists that are going to go forward and be the thinkers and the creators to try to solve some of these problems and their brains are are great to think about these different options and so it's just planting these seeds and letting and, and the whole message is that we have to be more thoughtful and we have to think And so it's a conversation started with parents, with teachers, to have with these students, and they'll take it and run with it. Um, It's funny, the questions that that I get from the students, um, they're already so wise on on many of these these subjects.
3: What ages do you think these uh, books are appropriate for?
4: So I like to say that the first book is kind of uh, pre-K through second. And the second book is a little more K through second or third. And the third book, because the topic is a little more um, serious, a little more advanced, it it works for the younger ones as well because of the watercolor illustrations. But it goes up, I I read to fourth and fifth graders as well, because um, talking about the environment and the, the oceans, the subject goes up as well.
3: And you mentioned the, uh, the illustrations, and I thought maybe you might want to get a little plug-in for the illustrator
4: as well. It's amazing. So I, as your show, is, is focuses on, on music a lot of times. But um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the arts, and reading is not always necessarily easy for each child. Each child learns to read and has a relationship with reading that's different than the other ch- children. And so I think it's important to bring in the arts. It, it takes a little pressure off of it and it makes it more interesting. So we talk about song. We talk about poems. We talk about feet and rhythm. Um, and I think all of those things flavor the reading and the illustrations. Um, that's why I focus on the watercolor illustrations and the details because it, it allows children to see that there's a story being told with the artwork as well as with the words. And a lot of children relate to the art. Especially when they're younger, easier. It's it's less um, angstful, I guess. So, um, Bonnie Helen Hawkins did the underwater adventure, and it, they're amazing. And each one is a watercolor uh, painting. And when students, when I hold up her watercolor painting and I say, you know, this was watercolor painted, they they they're amazed. I mean, it's it takes the time it took, uh, the detail, and so they start to see that. It, when they read a book, it's more than just a throwaway thing. It's it's a creation. It's a it's a piece of art. Um, the first two books were done by Annie Matzik, and she did a wonderful job as well. She hides little things in Sabrina's hair, so we talk about foreshadowing because you can see the little she puts little eyes in Sabrina's hair in the beginning, which is telling the readers that there's something funny going to come up or something, you know, something's going to happen. And so we can we can talk about foreshadowing and different things like that going forward.
3: Jane, I have to take a uh, short break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. All right, my guest is uh, Jane Valley. She is uh, the author of Dinosaurs Living in My Hair, which is a series book three. An underwater adventure is the current installment that is uh, being released uh, or has just been released. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more right after this.
5: Hello, out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger, T I double G, er, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
3: And welcome back, everybody. we continue our conversation with the author of a series of uh, children's books called Dinosaurs Living in My Hair. Book three is an underwater adventure by Jane Rose Valley, who joins me by phone. Jane, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all
4: that. No problem. Thank you.
3: (laughs) You know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the illustrations, and we mentioned illustrator Bonnie Helen Hawkins. And I, I just I think uh, in in books like this, the illustrations are so important because they really help bring the story to life.
4: Exactly. You
3: know, they give it a visual impact that, uh, especially for uh, for children and young readers, um, it's it's especially important that they get drawn in. To the story through these uh, wonderful illustrations that uh, Bonnie has added. Um, does she work with you on all of your books? Uh,
4: no, Annie Mastic did the first two, and Bonnie did the the underwater adventure. You know, the underwater adventure book. Um, I guess there is a, a particular art to doing watercolor underwater. It's a little tricky. Uh. So Bonnie was able to capture um, those scenes. Um, And and she was amazing. And she lives in the UK, and um, she's been a great part of the team.
3: Well, that had to be kind of uh, an interesting process of of communicating back and forth.
4: It is. My designer is um, the book designer who puts the words where they go and all of that. He's been with me for all three books, and he lives in Texas. So we do a lot of uh, Zoom calls and Skype calls and all of that, and um, it's it's just it's it's just, it's a team effort. So, you know, we were talking in
3: the last segment, uh, Jane, about the fact that you were from Battle Creek, Michigan, originally, but the time that you have spent in Key Largo has helped inform this underwater adventure uh, that you've. Put together um do you go back and forth the way some people from michigan do with florida they spend part of the year in michigan and part of the year in florida or did you move down there and stay
4: no we travel back and forth um we are blessed to have three grandchildren who live in the detroit area Uh, so i love to be near my grandchildren as well so and i i do travel around um Reading at schools across the country, so we are blessed to be able to celebrate both both states.
3: Um, are you able to um, write full time? Well,
4: that's a good question. Um, I write as often as I can, but in 2019, I started a I founded a nonprofit called Literacy for Kids. And what I found in traveling across the country, whether I was in the Bronx or Harlem or in the Thumb area of Michigan in the one-room schoolhouses or in Wyoming or in the Florida Keys, students were really relating to these author visits. And it was making such an impression on them and it was was inspiring curiosity and it was promoting imagination. And I was um, kind of dumbfounded on, on how much, difference this was making. So I started this nonprofit called Literacy for Kids in 2019. And um, and because of that and, and putting all these efforts into that, I don't write as often as I would love to because I'm working um, very hard to try to uh, create and develop these programs for that. Um, we do a lot of work with the Detroit Public Schools, and um, our focus has been on Detroit schools where the literacy rate um, ranks kind of in the bottom 8% nationally. And so we are able to bring authors in and celebrate their books and do the presentations like I would do, but I'm not the one doing them. And then we buy a book for each student, have the author sign it. And this celebration, this event is called Authors in Detroit. And um, we think it's giving back and making a difference. Um, covid actually you know students in detroit weren't in school for almost 2 years so it's it's a it's a way back to celebrate and again um we see the metrics working and the measurement because when we leave the teachers report children are picking up books more often they're thinking about the illustrations the poetry the beat the rhythm and the art that goes along with the book
3: well that's that's wonderful i you know i talk to a lot of writers um with varying degrees of of success in their in their careers, and a great many of them have a full-time job or a couple of jobs if they're you know doing participating sort of in the gig economy, um, and and they have to carve out little bits of time to uh, to write and and to continue to publish. And that's, that's why I asked if you, if you had the freedom to, you know, write full-time or if you were working and writing.
4: I am full-time spending time with, with students, it feels like. So um, that seems to be the focus right now. Um, all the book sales, any money from my presentations, book sales, I funnel 100% back into Literacy for Kids
3: but you're but you're in a position where you're able to make ends meet. Exactly.
4: Yes. I'm very blessed to to be able to do this and give back and um and that's important to both my husband and I.
3: When you do get a chance to to write, are you pretty disciplined Jane? Do you have an outline? Do you know what you're going to write about and and sit down and and you know, sit to a particular schedule and follow an outline, or do you just carve out some time and and let the writing take you along for the ride?
4: That's a really good question, and I wish I could say I was more disciplined than I am. Um, <laughs> my, my brain is a little crazy, and it kind of goes all over the place. But what I find is when i when I am writing and um i'm I'm doing it, I will wake up knowing right where I need to go back. And so I kind of must be dreaming about it all night, and I wake up and go right back to, um, to the storyline. So it, it just kind of takes over. It's part of, part of what I think about all the time.
3: When you're writing for younger readers, especially very young readers like preschool to fourth grade, um, how do you decide, Jane, what to include and what to leave out?
4: That's a good question. Um, I have an editor who helps me. Uh, I think that's really important. But uh, I always, in we do these storytelling, writing workshops with students um, in the Detroit area as well as part of uh, Literacy for Kids. And I like to tell the children that when they're writing, you want to be descriptive and you want to describe things but you wanna take out as much as you can. And the more clear you can be and the less fluffy and the less, I I don't wanna say detailed, but sometimes less is more. And the brevity of it, especially for children, the less words, the better. And that's why I think the illustrations are so important because they're telling a story. You don't have to say everything with words, you can tell part of it with, with the illustrations.
3: When you do these, when you interact with uh, with kids, are you able to get feedback from kids about the books you've written?
4: It's the best part of the job. <laughs> uh, I wondered. I, when you're giving to students, they're giving back. You're getting back as well. So it, it's a, it's an amazing journey to spend time with these students. And the questions they ask and the energy and the hope that I walk away with is incredible, and that's why I do it. It's just, um, you know, they're, the children are the future, and we need to make this investment. They want to be seen, they want to be listened to. The visits um, when you're there and you're talking to them, I try to make eye contact and make a personal connection with each student, which is probably impossible, but that's my goal, and. And I think they feel that. They sense it. And that's truly, truly important to students in a world where we've done a lot of uh, teaching remotely lately. That's the key, in my opinion, that's so important is this one-on-one with this, with the students.
3: You know, I ask this question uh, from time to time of of writers who, who write for readers of all ages and, and disciplines. Um, but do you ever get feedback on your books, uh, an observation or something someone has taken away from the book that you hadn't really fully considered, even though you're the writer?
4: Well, I'd like to think I've considered everything. Well, of but, course. Uh, <laughs> uh, the students, you know, and there are nuances in the books that are, although there might be a threat of a, of a, Moral of the story: There's often, like in, in the third book, there's a shark who gets tangled up in a in the the, the rope, and Spinosaurus, who loves who's a meat eater and is, is a natural swimmer, thinks that he's gonna you know it's meal time for him, and then he sees that the the shark is tangled up, and he decides to save the shark, so he becomes the hero. So he made that conscious choice of of helping the shark, even though he could have eaten him. So even though we are talking about underwater and we're talking about ecology and the oceans and to protect the oceans and the coral reefs, we also talk about the fact that Spinosaurus made a conscious decision to help this this shark who was, was tangled up in the rope. So students, some students will see that as the moral of the story, the message. Some students will see that they need to pick up trash and, and be more thoughtful about the oceans. So I'm never surprised to hear a student say something that I might not have thought of or see something in the illustration, you know, that I might not have seen. Um, but I think I've heard a lot, so I'm not sure that I answered your question. but No, you did. Um, how did okay. you get started writing to begin with, Jane? Well, growing up in Battle Creek, Michigan, as you said, it is farmland. And I used to hate mornings, which I talked to the students about in classrooms, because most students, when I ask how many children like to sleep in, 99.9% of them raise their hands. And my brother and I used to sleepyheads, and we hated to get up in the morning. And my mom used to, you know, countless times calling for us to wake up. And she, was born of a, of a time where her mother taught her to recite poetry. And so in teaching the children that, you know, she didn't play soccer, she didn't play the piano, she didn't watch television, but she learned how to recite poems. And that's so foreign to us in this day and age that somebody would just recite poetry. But at breakfast, when my brother and I were sleepy trying to eat our cereal, um, she would start reciting these funny poems that she had memorized as a child, and we would start spitting milk out and, and, and laughing because they were hysterical. So I grew up with this love of poetry that was just part of my life on the farm that I didn't know how important this beat and this rhythm was. And I, I always wrote. I always thought it was a great way to channel emotion and what's going on. And it organized my mind, which was kind of all over the place and crazy. But this beat and rhythm and the poetry all these years later, is now what I'm sharing with students, and it, it kind of feels like it's come full circle. And that's kind of where the poetry part comes in. And like I said, I, I believe writing is critical for all children, adults, to try to get your thoughts down on paper, and sometimes it makes a little more sense.
3: Where do the ideas um, for your stories come from? How How do you determine what you're going to write about each time?
4: That's a good question. I, um, like I said, the first one was a poem I just wrote for my daughter. And when she was in her late twenties, she said, mom, I think you should publish a poem you wrote for me. And I said, yeah, right. So two or three years later, I, I just, I kept ignoring her. I'm not artistically inclined with drawing and, I just didn't think it was possible. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just make an Apple book for my family. And I found Annie Matzik from Pennsylvania, and I sent a manuscript to her, and I and she typically didn't work with unpublished authors, and she took a look at it, and she said, I'm in. Because she could see it um, clearly, and, and that's how it started. So that's, I, I really thought it was just one book, and then as I was traveling to schools, and, and, and the bullying concept and how important it is to stand up and, um, and have this conversation with students about bullying and what they can do and that it's important, um, it's not tattling if, it's, if you're telling an adult if it's about danger. And there's that subtle difference, and that's important for children to understand. So I thought that was a very important message, which is, which is handled in book two, and then book three, like I said, with spending time in Key Largo and the oceans, and how important the oceans are. I just think it just it was the next book that I wanted to tell.
3: Over the last couple of years, Jane, um, with all of the school shutdowns and and uh, quarantines and all of that, have you had to? Do you're interacting with kids either for the nonprofit group or related to your books um, through Zoom and and online kinds of contacts? And how has that been for you?
4: Yes, we we have done that. Uh, It is tricky. Uh, Like I said, I think that one on one relationship is so important. The schools in Florida obviously were open. More than they were in in the in Detroit, so I did travel and was able to get into schools where the schools were open. The other thing that I believe COVID was because um, the disadvantage is to wear a mask because you can't see people's facial. I'm I'm, I'm very um, descriptive in my in my facial <laughs> what I'm what i look like and to not be able to see someone's mouth and what their expressions are, I think is a little problematic. So I think that was, uh, tricky, but we did what we could. And, um, going forward, we're back in the school, which is amazing. Some schools require masks. still; some do not. And we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to, um, and, and I was just at a school in, um, Lance Cruz district, a week or so ago, and the kindergartners, and I think even the first graders, it was the first assembly they had been to since they'd been to school because they'd never had an assembly in the two years of being, you know, at school. So that was interesting. So the teachers were nervous. How are they going to act because they would not had that practice of sitting for a speaker? And what, what did that look like? So there are all these little nuances that COVID has left us that we're trying to move forward on and doing the best we can. Do you think a,
3: uh, a COVID silver lining is uh, um, has to do with uh, some of the reports that, that kids are maybe picking books up more?
4: I'm not sure. Um, I would like to think that's true. I, a lot of children don't have access to books unless they're in a school. So... I think it depends on where those children are, where they live. That's a good point. What, what's their availability?
3: Because I've been reading, um, you know, reports from people and, and certain uh, uh, studies that, that say, you know, kids are reading more books. They're, they've spent so much time in front of screens. They're trying to get away from the screens and they're spending more time with books. But I, you raise a, an important mm-hmm. point, Jane, that that may be right. true in some communities and not others. Correct. That
4: would be my opinion on that.
3: Well, interesting. What was, uh, did you self publish initially or were you able to find a, a publisher?
4: I am independently published and I chose that route. Because I'm, um, I don't want to say I'm a control freak, but I do like <laughs> control of what my illustrations look like. I want to make those determinations of what my books look like, what they feel like, what paper I use, what you know, do I uh, print in the United States, which is important to me. So all of those details matter, and that's kind of where I've gone and, and, and done it. And we've been blessed enough to, to have won a lot of awards, which is great. I still think that a child liking the book and laughing at a certain part or picking my book up, choosing it, those are the best rewards. But it is always nice to um, be recognized by my peers and others in the field.
3: Well, I, uh, I, I think this is... Um a a really fun series and and the whole idea of dinosaurs living in my hair is hilarious. uh, that's, um, That's a new one on me.
4: Well, it's the most ridiculous thing I could think of and children love the title and they love it and when I'm at a show or something and people will see the Dinosaurs Living in My Hair title, they get three or four steps past my booth and then they turn around and they look at it and they laugh. So, I guess the title works, so I'm happy about that.
3: Now, Jane, am I saying your your name right? Jane Rose Valley.
4: Yes, you are.
3: Um, when? How long does it take to put out one of these books? When will we see an, another um, submission from Jane Rose Valley?
4: Well, that's a good question too. Uh, you have so many good questions. It takes. Every time I think that the book's ready to go to be done, it seems to take another year after that. So, <laughs> and and that's the message for the children too. Is you know, teachers talk about rewriting and uh, revisions, and, and it's true. There there might be a better word choice or a different word choice or a different. And so, I think for me personally, it it probably takes a year to two. Just the illustrations alone usually take nine months to a year because, like I said, um, they're sketched and then they're watercolors, so that takes a long time. And I, I think you have to kind of play with things. You have to kind of uh, marinate it and live with it and change it and evolve it. The first uh, Dinosaurs of My Hair 3 book doesn't look anything like how it ended up. So it's interesting how they evolve and they change, and, um, and that's a great message for children as well is don't be in a hurry, uh, take your time, and, um, and really play with it.
3: Well, Jane, thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. We have about a minute and a half. Do you have a, a website you'd like to share?
4: I do. Um, we actually have two. I have, my personal website is Jane Rose Valley, J-A-Y-N-E, Rose, R-O-S-E, Valley, V-A-L-L-E-E, um, Jane Rose Valley. And, um, the literacyforkids.org is also available, which talks about our programs in Detroit and the fundraising efforts and the programs that we're doing for the Detroit students.
3: Well, Jane, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work.
4: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on your show.
3: Take care. Again, Jane Rose Valley. uh, She is the uh, author of a series called Dinosaurs Living in My Hair. Book three is an underwater adventure and is uh, out now. Uh, And with that, if you're listening to us at... uh, W-F-O-V-L-P, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 FM, Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House. Spectacle Productions of my good friend Paul Hearing. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. More of the Tom Sumner Program is straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and
1: you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone.
2: This vaccine means full. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want
1: to go back to work and I want to be able to move
2: around. It's a- visit with Michelle's mom to hug her and see her on her birthday. You
1: know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage.
3: In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated.
1: I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible.
6: So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot.
1: Now it's up to you.
7: (laughs) Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
6: So soon. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Oh great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? (laughs) Love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love, and the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious, beautiful, and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's it's there. It's there. Oh, where is the love? It's there. Where is the love?
5: It's there.
1: Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever changing, ever growing, ever moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is, love is God. This is a song of two lovers, Right. not world-famous right. Famous lovers, not a Romeo and Juliet, not that type of a love, but two people whose love was an unrequited love. <laughs> unrequited love very beautiful love A love that very few people ever hear of It's the story of Herman and Sally you've heard of them huh Herman was a lobster and Sally was a crab <laughs> never work out that way, will it? (laughs) Herman met Sally on the beach one night The sea was calm and the starfish were bright He looked at her and she looked at him and it was true love at first sight Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found and they said, Herman, There must be other girls around. (laughs) Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take her for your mate. Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take her for your mate. Where is love? (laughs) Try singing like that. (laughs) Poor Herman and poor Sally. Whence did their love Whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar? Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her, could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. So he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. (laughs) Herman told Sally and it broke her heart She had loved that lobster right from the start He took her in his claws and said, I'll always be yours But still, we really have to part Sally said, let's talk to your mom and your dad I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad
2: <laughs> They turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they
1: laughed at the funny walk she had Two, three, four. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Sing out, friends, now Crab walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate straight as can be he said Sally I can take you in my family and she said Herman Don't you treat at me class <laughs> <laughs> walk sideways the lobster's walk straight and we won't let you
5: take it for your man <laughs>
8: Let me show you softly where the surf is high Sun up there in the sky Rainbows and what we're passing by Oh yes, I want to take you there I'll the sea Come and let's pretend it's summer now Take
7: from your program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!